Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Drew Scott here. And I'm Jonathan Scott reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Big play. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Bob Osgood of Over the Monster and special guest, Matt McCarthy of 98.5 The Sports Hub. He's the founder of the Hardcore Baseball Podcast, promoter of all things South Shore, and you can find him on Twitter at MattMcCarthy985. This is episode 290 of the show. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, guys, it's a pleasure to be here. Boy, uh, a lot to talk about when it comes to uh, the trading deadline and my guy, Heim Bloom, and the direction of the Red Sox. So seriously thrilled to be on. Ah, well, it's awesome to have you. Um, and if anybody hasn't tuned into Matt McCarthy's work, uh, you know, turn your radio dial to 98.5. It's great stuff. But let's get right to it. I mean, Matt, the reason why we had you on today is because you are the perfect person to uh, deal with a very disappointing deadline from Heim Bloom. So I tweeted out yesterday after the deadline, that was another pathetic deadline for the Red Sox. Let's not let the Fenway spin machine frame it any other way. This was an abject failure. So that's how I was feeling when this happened. But Matt, I imagine that you had some pretty strong feelings as well when the Red Sox essentially decided to do nothing with a team that is very close to playoff contention. As we say it right now, I mean, they're a game and a half back of the third wild card spot. Why on earth did they decide to do this? Because this is who I think they are. I mean, you know, I, I don't really think there's there's much of an answer beyond it. I mean, I, I think they are a risk-adverse franchise. 
Um, I, I don't think they really want to pit, you know, pick a particular direction um, in any direction, what that may be, whether that may be buy or whether that may be sell. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is they, they are a game and a half out as we sit here today. You could make a legitimate argument, though, for selling. I made that argument about three and a half weeks ago before this team kind of sucked me in and I started to say, you know what, I'm starting to believe a little bit in this young core. I think if you add to this team, they are a playoff team, which I did not feel, say, a month ago. But given the way they've played over the last six weeks, having the best record in the American League over the last six weeks, I said, you know what, actually, I think the direction here is buy. But if you said, hey, McCarthy, I want to sell, I would have totally respected that. The most important thing, though, is they needed to pick a direction either way. They either needed to buy or they needed to sell. And what they did was neither. What they did was stay completely and totally in the middle, which is exactly what this franchise has done really since Heimbloom took over. I mean, I don't really know how else to say it. This is a clear organizational philosophy. They don't really commit to anything. And I think they think the way to go about building a winner or the way to go about building a successful, you know, sustainable franchise is to stay in the middle the whole time. And if something breaks your way, great, you know, everything comes together and you go on a run, say 2021. Or if it doesn't break your way, well, that's just the way it is. Look at 2022. And ultimately, I think probably after this deadline, 2023, uh, it, it's hard to see, you know, it's hard to see them putting it together and going to the playoffs at this point, given they did leave this team short. So this is who they are, guys. I mean, you know, there's really no other way to say it. You know, they they refuse to commit in any particular direction. I think, frankly, they're terrified of committing in any direction. And I think, you know, that generally comes from Heim Bloom. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there are ownership problems here. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there is an absentee owner, you know, issue, you know, going on right now with John Henry. Um but, you know, they've left the team in charge, you know, to be run by Sam Kennedy and Heim Bloom. And I don't know if either of these guys are cut out to building a winner because they're not willing to take the steps, the aggressive steps that sometimes you have to take to be a winner. And I think they're destined to stay in the middle so long as these guys are running the show. Yeah, I mean, taking a, an aggressive step one way or the other is is certainly the move here. And I think that there's just a fundamental misunderstanding of the psyche of Boston Red Sox fans. Like, we are okay with selling if there's a plan and you're going to commit to it and go that way. We're also, you know, very okay with you buying and taking on rentals and doing things like that because it shows that you are trying. What no Boston fan is okay with, except for the Bluminati who have something wrong with them mentally. I don't know what's going on with those people. But, you know, there's... This picking no lane, going in no particular direction, this is just the worst of both worlds. And I can't wrap my head around why it's happening. Well, I mean, I think it look to the guy running the show. I mean, and, and that's why it's happening. Um, I think you got a, a real look into his mindset yesterday and a real look into his psyche. I mean, you talk about the psyche of Red Sox fans. And by the way, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think if you... If you come out and have conviction and saying, hey, we don't believe in this team we're selling, you can sell people on the idea that you're going to build a World Series winner the next year. Um, 
but you need to eventually sell people on the idea that you're going to build a World Series winner by doing something, right? And you're not doing anything. So it's hard to really feel like you're going to build a World Series winner if you're not going to do anything in either direction to try and get you there. Because you can get there by selling, too. I mean, you sell off all your pieces. You spend money in 2024. You know, it's a good young core that's being developed right now. Like, I can make an argument that that's a good way to go about it. I can also make an argument that a good way to go about building a World Series winner is trying to build a World Series winner in the moment. It doesn't really feel like they're trying to do either. But back to the point I was going to make about Bloom and, and his psyche and kind of the way he's he's wired. You know, calling the Red Sox underdogs yesterday, which I think was a comment that upset a lot of Red Sox fans. I think it should upset a lot of Red Sox fans. I think you really peered into the way the man's mind, you know, works. He wants to be an underdog. You know, the, the Red Sox are only underdogs if they choose to be underdogs. You know what I mean? Like, with their resources, they should never be considered underdogs. They've won more World Series than any team in this millennium. So, you know, this is not, you know, and I heard from people yesterday saying, oh, they went 90, you know, nine decades with, you know, being an underdog. Yeah, that was 20 years ago. You know, I mean, the Red Sox have more resources than just about any team. They should never theoretically be underdogs. And I think Heim Bloom has run this team for the last four years like they're underdogs, like they're the little engine that could. And I think he caught himself in saying this yesterday, and he kind of tried to backtrack it a little bit. But I really think that's how he feels. I think that's, you know, how he, you know, believes this team is probably because of where he came from. You know, I mean, he grew up with the Rays, right? I mean, he was a, you know, Rays employee for a long time and he's used to being the underdog and he he can't he can't be Goliath. He's always he's always David, but he doesn't want to be Goliath. So, I just thought that was a really fascinating comment that he made yesterday and I uh, can't say I'm really a fan of it, but it it tells you everything you need to know about Heim Bloom. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that comment to for the the listeners, it was so understanding that we're underdogs this year, right now, where we are in the playoff odds, we just tried to stay true to that. And when he said that, what it got me thinking about is like, how on earth is that quote going to play in the clubhouse? Not well, these guys. Not well. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing too. It's like we're underdogs. Okay, well. Can you do everything in your power to not be underdogs? It's like, oh, well, we, ju we just tried to stay true to that. You tried to stay true to not being as good as everybody else? Is that, is that what? Because, I mean, that's that's what the underdog is. The underdog is not favored because they are not as talented. They are not as good. They are not as big, as strong, as whatever. You know, like, that's what makes you the underdog. And don't get me wrong, that can be a rallying cry for teams if you are an underdog. But it's like, we tried to stay true to being an underdog? Like, so what you're saying is you're admitting right now that you weren't all that interested in getting better. You're admitting that you prefer to be the underdog. And, you know, it, it's one thing if you're the Tampa Bay Rays. You're always going to be the underdog and that's never going to change based on your resources. The Boston Red Sox should not be okay with always being the underdog. That It's not the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, they shook that in 2004, like you said. There's there's no more going back on, on being underdogs. But I think there was a lot of contradictions in a lot of the things that Bloom said yesterday during his presser. And I, I mean, it was, it was nauseating to watch, really. Um, 
But he said a lot of things on the Red Sox, you know, deciding not to add uh, coming into the trade deadline. They had a 23.7% chance to make the playoffs, according to Fangraphs, heading into yesterday. And Bloom quoted that a lot. He said, just look at the odds. We know what the odds were. We don't have a playoff spot right now. We're not sitting in a playoff spot. He added that we are a couple games out of a playoff spot right now. So clearly we're going to need to run some teams down if we're going to have to get in. My question to that is, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to run these teams down without reinforcements. And I think, Bob, you went through and looked at what a lot of the other teams that were around the Red Sox did. You know, other teams that are in playoff contention, the Angels, the Astros, Orioles, Tampa, Texas, Toronto. These teams didn't stand pat. So what are the Red Sox supposed to do to run these teams down if, if he's not going to be giving them the reinforcements that they need? I don't know how you can say that and then say things like, we like this group, we like this team. I feel that right. way. I know Alex Cora feels that way. Like those those two things don't match up with each other. Yeah, you can tell that, that they're not lined up and it just it feels so robotic. Some of those quotes that you mentioned there, you know, the percent chance of making the playoffs and that they are underdogs is there are teams that are behind you that are buying and there are teams that are just in front of you that are buying and you're essentially standing pat. You know, we'll talk about Arias, but that's that's standing pat. The, the year to sell was last year, right, where they had a strong June against some poor competition, and then they got to July, and their guys were injured, and, and the sales and the Evaldis and stories were going to be out for most of the year. You know, this is a team that has looked strong in July, you know, as you, you both mentioned, that they, they've been the best team in the American League over the last month plus. Um, they have these players coming back in Sale and Story and Whitlock and Hulk. And you had a chance to add to that. You had a chance to show a vote of confidence in this specific team. You know, are they World Series contenders? Probably not. But you look back at 2021 when you added a Kyle Schwarber and that probably was the difference in making the playoffs by one or two games, which they did. And, and Fenway was a lot of fun and you can get it to that point again. You ask about the competitors and what they did, you know, Seattle, uh, who is behind you, they kind of stood pat, and the Yankees, that's a team that, that should have sold. I mean, they, they're terrible outside of Aaron Judge, but you've got the Angels who add Giolito and Lopez and Grichik and Kron and Moustakas. I mean, they went nuts, and they're three games back of the wild card. you got the Blue Jays who add Jordan Hicks and Paul DeYoung to fix holes that they have at closer and shortstop. You know, Houston adds... Justin Verlander, I mean, they went all out, adding him and Kendall Graveman. The Rangers go all out. They add Scherzer, Montgomery, Araldis Chapman. Tampa adds Aaron Savali. Baltimore adds Jack Flaherty. That's seven teams that I just listed off that made significant ads. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't – you needed to do something. It didn't need to be Verlander. It didn't need to be Scherzer. But, you know, I even talked about Michael Lorenzen a month ago, who I thought was a reasonable um, – this podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. 
If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Target from Detroit, and he goes for a non-top 100 prospect to Philly to Dave Dombrowski, who is somebody who's got that killer mentality. You know, you don't have to go all in, but you need to do something to show that clubhouse that you have confidence in this team this year. Um... And they just didn't do that. And I found that to be really, really disappointing. And I, I think it kind of insults our intelligence, too, as baseball fans. I mean, the, the quote from Bloom here that says, I think we were on the phone near constantly today and right. through a lot of yesterday, just looking at all sorts of possibilities. I mean, McCarthy, w- w- what does that say to Red Sox fans like us who live and die by this team, who know the ins and outs of the roster, who study the farm system, th- that quote to me just, it, it infuriates me. Well, if they're on the phone all day, I wonder what exactly you're talking about. Like, and how serious are you uh, in actually making a move? Because you didn't make a move. Again, I mean, I, I think, you know, John John Tomasi had an interesting piece on NBC Sports Boston um, talking about how, you know, Bloom has a level of indecision and about how general managers around baseball, and this is something I had not heard, uh, and this is, you know, three and a half years old at this point, there were general managers around baseball who felt Bloom really dragged his feet on the Mookie Betts trade. And, you know, that there was a lot of indecision going on with the organization and with Haim Bloom in regards to the Mookie Betts trade. Now, all of a sudden, you kind of think back and you say, okay, they got kind of cold feet on Gratterall's medicals. They go back, they redo the deal. And is that a part of the whole indecision that that Haim Bloom has exhibited? And I, I think basically the answer is yes, because the way he goes about just his job in general, it's, well, you know, maybe we'll buy, maybe we'll sell. We're on the phone all day and we're trying to, you know, get stuff done. But where's the conviction? Where's the conviction in any type of direction? Because, you know, to your point, you know, Bloom talked out of both sides of his mouth yesterday saying, well, we really believe in this team. We really like this team. But, you know, we only have a 23% chance to make the playoffs. So I'm sorry, which is it? You know, you're talking about essentially how this team wasn't worth investing in because, statistically, they're not going to make the playoffs, but then you're talking about how much you really like this team. So which is it? You know, if you don't believe in this team, that's fine. You don't need to come out and then say that you do. If you don't believe in the team, truly, go out and sell. Trade James Paxton. Trade Adam Duvall. Trade Justin Turner. Trade everybody, essentially, you know. Or if you legitimately do believe in this team, then go out and do what everybody else around you did and buy. But instead, they stayed in the middle and they did nothing. And I think, you know, it really is a look at a general manager who is far too indecisive uh, to be effective in this role in this market. And Jake, well, just to add to that, I mean, you ask what he's he's doing on the phone. He's waiting for somebody to be desperate. I mean, in yes. 2021, Philly was desperate to to get rid of of Schwarber at the or um excuse me that when when they got Schwarber in 2021 he was a great ad but he was on the injured list yep. at the time in 2021 and in 2022 it's oh Eric Hosmer you know the San Diego deal falls through he happens to be available and your trade isn't going to happen without him we'll take that he was waiting for a team to be desperate yep. and then at 5:59 yesterday 
when nobody was and there wasn't any value, a trade that he won, um, he trades for a backup infielder when nothing else is out there and pretends that, oh, yep, there's there's our addition, you know, rather than being aggressive early like all of the other teams were. Bob, you couldn't be you couldn't be more right about that. Um, you know, the, the way High and Bloom approaches everything is value, value, value. And don't get me wrong. I mean, value is important, but, uh, the, you know, you're never going to get deals done if you're waiting to resoundingly win every deal. And, you know, for right. the most part, the moves that Bloom makes, you know, if we're talking about if we're talking about pure value, he generally comes out on top of those. Like the Schwarber deal, no doubt. I mean, to give up Aldo Ramirez, that's nothing. Uh, but Schwarber was hurt, and he wasn't a first baseman. So, you know, let's not forget Schwarber makes a massive error in Game 5 of the ALCS that year and costs them that game. So as, as important as Schwarber was to that team, he was hurt. They were in first place when they traded for him. They made the playoffs by one game. You had to wait three weeks for the guy. So it's like you get a good impact player, but you have to do it on a term where, you know, you're, you're winning the value, so you trade for an injured player. There have been very few deals along the way that Bloom has lost. The Renfro deal is the big one. But other than that, you know, it's like, did he lose the Hansel Robles trade? Did he lose the Austin Davis trade? Did he lose the Eric Hosmer trade? No. The Tommy Pham trade? No, he didn't lose those deals. But where has it gotten you? Because well, if you're only going to make a deal, if you're only going to make a deal if it's a resounding victory for you, you're never, ever going to be able to make enough deals to win a World Series. Well, it's hard to lose when you're not willing to push the chips into the middle of the table. And that's something that he's not willing to do. And from listening to both of you guys, the biggest thing that I thought about was his credibility. You know, if 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 you receive a phone call, if you're an opposing GM and you receive a phone call from Heim Bloom, you know, based on the track record from his past three seasons, that you're not talking to a serious person on the phone mm-hmm. um, during these negotiations. So I have to think that... You know, these other general managers, when they get a call from Dave Dombrowski with the Phillies or when they get a call from Heim Bloom with the Red Sox, that those two things are not equal. They know that one of those guys is actually willing to sit down and get a deal done and give something up and and be part of a, a real negotiation. With Heim Bloom, he's just waiting until he smells blood in the water, desperation, until there's something that he can cling to. Um, to get something done. And and my biggest concern is that if the Red Sox keep doing that, they're not even going to be in play for these deals, really, Mm because opposing GMs aren't going to take them seriously. And then I think that that's going to rub off long term on the way that the franchise looks. We've already seen that they're not willing to do things like pay Mookie Betts, pay Xander Bogarts what his real market value is. They were sort of pigeonholed into paying uh, Rafael Devers because the other two already left. And if you're not going to pay Devers, like you're not going to pay anybody essentially. Um, so, I mean, to the outside, to other players, to free agents, to people who are thinking of coming here via trade, um, I'm worried that the Red Sox as an organization are beginning to look like a joke because of the way that Bloom conducts himself. You know, not, Mike Felger would tell me not uh, not to cross sports. Uh, sports. I'm going to cross sports here. 
Danny Ainge had the same experience with the Celtics towards the end of his tenure, you know, where he wasn't willing to make a trade that was essentially even, or, you know, he wasn't willing to necessarily lose value on a trade to get the right player at the right time, the right fit, you know, like eventually somewhere along the way, you need to make your Hanley Ramirez for Josh Beckett, Michael old deal, you know, somewhere along the way, you need to trade Jose Iglesias for Jake Peavy. Somewhere along the way, you need to trade Santiago Espinal for Steve Pierce or Jalen Beeks for Nate Evaldi. And if you want to win a World Series, if you want to win a championship, sometimes you have to make a 50-50 trade to try and get a guy who fits, to try and, you know, push you over the top, to do whatever. And I don't think Bloom's capable of making a deal that he thinks is 50-50 or a deal that he thinks there's, you know, some level of risk to. And if you're not going to be willing to take a risk at some point as a general manager, you will never, ever be successful in building a winner. I mean, Theo Epstein has said it. You know, the first thing his dad told him was essentially, don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to, you know, take a risk. It's the first thing his dad said when Theo was named general manager of the Boston Red Sox. Theo traded Nomar Garcia Parra. That was a huge risk. He had conviction in it because he knew that team needed to be better defensively, and he knew that Nomar was a free agent. But that was a team that was playing essentially 500 ball, and he made a big trade. That You're telling me there wasn't risk in that trade? I mean, he put his entire credibility on the line with that trade. Now, it worked out beautifully and brilliantly, and not every trade works out that way. But you need a general manager who's willing to do that, and Bloom isn't willing to do that. I wonder in whether it's two months from now or a year or two years from now, if Heim Bloom's going to look back on his tenure in Boston when he doesn't get another general manager job and say, well, I did the right thing. We had a 30% chance of making the playoffs in 2023. It's like, you know, you, you only have so many shots at this. There's a chance that the year ends, they don't get in the playoffs, and they move on to somebody else. And I don't know how he can look back at the last couple of trade deadlines and think that this just in the middle, you know, last year you don't get under the luxury tax and then all your players leave and you get fourth round picks instead of second round picks because you hit penalties on that. And then this year you don't buy when you've had a strong team in July. Is he going to look back on that and think that that these were all the right moves? Is he that kind of robotic? Because that's just what it has felt like for especially the last two years. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure. I don't really know how to answer that, Bob, because I I think generally, (laughs) you know, I I do think he believes that staying in the middle is is the right way to do it. And, you know, I mean, I think he would probably look back on it and he would say it was too much of a risk at the time. You know, I mean, if I if I if I'm breaking down the psychology of the man, I, I think that's probably how he feels. And I'll tell you what, he did not manage this trade deadline like he feels his job is on the line. So, you know, whether it is or not, I I don't know. And I'll tell you what, if I'd almost have a little bit more respect for him, if he does lose his job this offseason where you're like, well, at least he wasn't doing something to try and desperately save his job because most general managers would do that. So I think I would give him a little bit of credit for that. But yeah, I mean, I I think at some point, you know, you, you want him to learn, you want him to grow, you want him to learn from his mistakes. And I'm just not quite sure if he's frankly, even aware that mistakes have been made. And I'm not saying that that comes from a place of arrogance or anything, because I don't, I don't think he's an arrogant guy. I don't think he's a guy with a lot of hubris. By all accounts, he's actually a really good guy. I just don't really know if he's... I I think he's, he's a little bit narrow-minded. I think he thinks that the way he's doing it is the right way to do it. He, you know, this is kind of the Ray's way to do it. 
So, you know, I mean, I think, I think it's hard for him to kind of see the forest through the trees on it. And I think it's hard for him to, to recognize if he did make a misstep by not making a move, because I think Heim Bloom is the type of person that says, well, if I don't make a move, it can't go wrong. You know what I mean? Sure. Like if I don't, I agree. if I don't take a chance, if I don't go up to the girl and say, Hey, how you doing? Can I have your number? I'll never be rejected. You know? Yep. Yep. That's exactly the mentality. And you, you know, you look across the league, you look at what the angels have done under general manager, Perry Manassian. And, you know, he went completely the opposite direction. The angels had a worse chance of making the playoffs. They were in a worse position. Mike Trout was on the IL at the time. He still is, um, you know, pitching staff there was questionable and he pushed all the chips in. He was like, Hey, you know what? I don't care what the odds say because I'm betting on my players, I'm betting on this team that we can do something. And I, I'm i going to show Otani, I'm going to show all of these other players on the team that we believe in them by actually adding. And I just don't think that Heim Bloom has that human element in him. I don't think that he understands the message that he sends. And also, like, you know, we look at the quote that Devers had uh, coming into this about how he was looking forward to you know, Bloom getting him some help and, and some reinforcements. This has to impact the way that the players feel about the Red Sox, not only in the clubhouse, but guys thinking about coming and signing with this team in the future. You yeah, called up and, pitching specifically, right, Devers? No, yeah, he no did. Doubt. Yeah. No doubt about it. And I wonder how Alex Gora feels about this. Um, you know, deep down, you know, we, we know there have been some issues between Cora and Bloom. You know, Cora wants to win. Um, at all costs at sometimes um, this is a guy who desperately wants to win and you know you have a general manager who is not doing everything in his power to build a winner and you know I mean I do wonder you know ultimately you know as as contracts you know draw closer to you know being completed with both Bloom and Cora you know what this means for the future there it's just I don't have an answer on that but I know you know I wonder how sustainable it is. Well, that's a great question because Bloom said uh, yesterday, he said, we think we have a lot of talent in our farm system. And Cora had a quote just last week about how the goal is October, not just to have the best farm system. So reading into that relationship, you know, and also the fact that Bloom yesterday said, I don't think history is kind to those that sell out for rentals. <laughs> there must be a lot of tension there because as as someone pointed out yesterday, I can't remember who it was, and I can't give him credit for it, but there's just so much tension in the fact that he has one guy, Bloom, who's the opposite side of the spectrum, who he's worked with, and he has Dombrowski on the other side, one guy who will go mm -hmm. out and get you whatever you need to win, and the other guy who has the tightest purse strings maybe in the entire league, uh, who just says, sorry, man, you're on your own. I believe in you guys. Go ahead and do it. But like this tension's got to spill over. And at some point, John Henry has to pick one or the other who he's going to ride with. Is he going to ride with Bloom and the Rays philosophy? Or is he going to ride with Cora and, you know, actually try and get a general manager who can add to things and compete? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I have heard in recent weeks, and, and I heard this a couple of weeks ago, so things things may have changed at this point. I, I've heard that Bloom and Cora, at least as of a few weeks ago, were a little bit more on the same page than previously they had been. 
that Cora was starting to see the vision. And ultimately, you know, this is, you know, as the Red Sox were starting to win games, that Cora was starting to believe a little bit more in this young group. And I think was a little bit more on bloom with, you know, more on page uh, on the same page uh, with, with some of the things that bloom has been saying for a while. I do wonder how this deadline changes that, you know, because, you know, it's, it's, most certainly Cora's mentality to, hey, this team's good, let's go out and improve it, and Bloom, you know, does nothing. So, I mean, I do wonder how that affects that relationship. Uh, I will most certainly be digging on that in the coming days to see if if their relationship is still in a good place as it was a few weeks ago compared to where it was a few months ago uh, when it most certainly was not in a good place. So looking forward a little bit, let's explore that a little bit more. If you had to bet right now, knowing what we know about John Henry, what we know about the ownership group and how we think that they're a little disengaged compared to where they were in the past, I think that's fair to say, you know, do you have any strong feeling, any sort of strong conviction that if the Red Sox are to miss the playoffs this year, whether or not Bloom or Cora's job could be in danger or whether or not they're comfortable with this just simply being the new normal that, you know, we're going to have a team that's somewhere in the middle. And if we sneak into the playoffs, great, but it really doesn't matter because everybody's going to come out to Fenway Park anyway, because it's America's oldest ballpark and they all want to sing Sweet Caroline and go home and have a good time. And, you know, that whole bit. None of this is informed. This is all totally speculation and totally gut feeling for me. Um, I don't think much is going to change, um, I, you know, and, you know, maybe partially, you know, some of that is because, you know, Bloom did not manage yesterday's deadline like uh, like somebody who, you know, is worried about his job security. Um, but I, I do think I just generally believe that the Red Sox consider this to be a successful season. Uh, the young players have come along. Their, you know, Baseball America ranking is improving. Um, you know, they are you know, developing a better farm system at this point, there is certainly no denying that. Um, I question whether they're developing pitchers uh, in the farm system, but I, I think they're really developing hitters. Um, so they've got that going for them at least. So the farm system is in a better place. And I, I think ultimately, you know, they're somewhat competitive this year and at least they're keeping people somewhat interested. I mean, television ratings are way down, but they've still got people coming into the ballpark. I don't see any changes happening. And, you know, I really think it's going to take some type of blow up, you know, maybe Cora and Bloom not being on the same page and ownership having to pick between one or the other. I, I really think that's the only thing that would honestly force a change at this point. But if Bloom is content coming back and Cora is content coming back, I, I it's hard to see them making any changes or moving on at this point. It's as frustrating as that may be, because I don't like the direction of this thing. Um, I don't. I think probably both are safe right now. I'm afraid you're you're right on that, uh, and and it's it's disappointing. But let's get to the team on the field before we get you out of here. Um, the biggest area of need on this team heading into the deadline was certainly starting pitching. We mentioned that Devers had addressed that as well. Um, they've been able to patch it together since the All Star break due to a very favorable schedule with a lot of built in off days. But now, as you're listening to this podcast, I mean, this is their, they're going to be on an off day as you're listening to this, and then they don't have off days until August 14th and August 31st. This team's pitching depth is going to continue to be tested. So, I mean, the fact that they didn't add pitching, 
Dan Shaughnessy pointed out that Bloom teams have traditionally been bad in August, 33-50 and 50 over his tenure here because he doesn't add to the team at the deadline. Uh, what do you feel are the odds that we see another August swoon with the pitching being the way that it is and the fact that the team is probably going to feel a little bit deflated given that the only addition was Luis Urias, who isn't even expected to start uh, with the big club? Yeah, I think there will probably be a little bit of a swoon. I don't know if it'll be, you know, what you saw, say, in August of 21. Um, I do think the clubhouse is different. Um, and, you know, there, there are more guys here who have been blo- you know brought in by Bloom than before. Um, I think some of the, I'm sure Heim would call them problems in the dugout, like the old core, the old guard, like the leftovers from 2018, who were vehemently opposed to Heim Bloom's uh, actions. Um, and and moves and approach. Um, those guys aren't here anymore, so I'm I'm not sure if the team's going to tank. Um, I, I just I don't see that happening. However, I, I think they're probably going to do guys what they've done for the vast majority of this year, which is have a good week and then have a bad week. You know, this week might be a bad week because you know you're coming off the deadline and everything. You got Toronto coming into town and all that. I mean, I know they beat Toronto, you know, pretty consistently all this year. Um, but that's still a tough series coming off the West Coast. Like, it's always tough playing out West. So I, I think they're probably going to have a mini swoon, and then they'll have a good week, and then they'll have a bad week, and they'll kind of be the team they've been all year long. And they'll get some reinforcements back, and, you know, Sale will come off the IL, and Story will come off the IL, and Whitlock will come off the IL, and one or two of those guys will go back on the IL by the time, this, you know, the season is over, and they'll kind of end up in the same position that they've been all year long. So, um, you know, I think, listen, you're going to have good nights at the ballpark and you're going to have bad nights at the ballpark, and it's going to even out to probably something a little bit over 500, and there'll be a fourth-place team, and that's it. And here you have it. Sounds like there's no getting off this hamster wheel anytime soon. So (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. A little depressing, but... Uh, Matt, I want to just thank you for coming in and, and being a part of this podcast today and sharing your thoughts on Heim Bloom. And I wish you had better news for us uh, in, in regards to changes being made soon. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't sound like those changes are coming. Well, guys, I really appreciate the uh, the flexibility. I know I had to move a couple times. Uh, so really appreciate you uh, hanging in there with me and uh, making this happen. It was a lot of fun and happy to come back anytime. And uh, hopefully we have, uh, you know, it would be nice to come back in October or something like that. But uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> All right. Thanks Let's for coming for on, Matt. October baseball. All right. <laughs> anytime, guys. Anytime, guys. Keep up the good work. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Well, that was a great interview with uh, Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the sports hub. He had to jump off, so uh, go ahead and give him a follow there. But we're going to get right into a couple other things here um, that we didn't really get to touch on. Um, the first of these is the the trade itself. So uh, the trade that was made um, was trading high A starter Bradley Blaylock to the Brewers for infielder Luis Urias. Uh, Urias primarily 
played second base and third base this year. He's played some shortstop in the past, um, but right now he's having the, the worst season of his career, I think it's fair to say. He's slashing 145, 299, uh, 236 on the season with a 59 WRC+. Plus. Um, the team has announced that he's going to be sent to Worcester, um, so this obviously doesn't move the needle uh, for the big league club. And Heim Bloom said he was attractive because, quote, we can control him for the next couple of years. So this is a guy in Urias who has had success in the past in the majors. In 2021 and 2022, he had uh, seasons that were worth a little bit over two war per fan graphs. Um, never particularly high averages in those seasons, 249, 239. Um, but hit for a fair bit of power, 23 home runs in uh, 2021, 2022, uh, he had 16 home runs. So he's been an okay player in the past. Certainly a buy low here for um, Bloom. If, if they can get this swing figured out, I think it's a fine deal. Um, but ultimately, I don't think this does anything uh, to help the club uh, this particular season. And with Blaylock, they gave up the 37th ranked prospect per Sox prospects, a guy who has had success this year in uh, two levels at low A and high A, um, had a 150 ERA at low A and a 2.55 ERA at high A. So he's been having some success, but I mean, Ian, I mean, Jesus. And when we had Ian on, he wasn't even one of the the guys that uh, he mentioned. But Bob, I mean, what do you think about this move? Uh, you know, just looking at the two players involved here. Yeah, I mean, so I think with Blaylock, there is a forty man crunch that is coming up this off season, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to go over those names and who they should and shouldn't prioritize. But Blaylock was part of a handful of names that they'd have to make a decision on um, as he had had Tommy John surgery previously. Um, so he's kind of had kind of the clock was ticking and he's lower down in the organization. And, you know, would he get plucked in the Rule 5 draft? Who knows? Because he was not in top 30, but he has had, you know, very good, season i think that he's only given up more than two runs once all year so zra is 2.19 down there um he definitely is somebody who has an up arrow next to them um and probably was just kind of a an attractive prospect to take a shot on um for milwaukee now with urias yeah i mean he this season hasn't gone well i i don't think that the people who immediately said he's got a 145 average and one home run in 20 games. He was, he had a significant injury for the first two months of the season. He came back and offered nothing and they sent him down to the minors. And you mentioned his major league stats in 21 and 22, you know, he had 23 homers, 75 RBI season at 24 years old. I, I think that they, I'm kind of a little more, confident than you are that they think he, he will contribute this year. I think that, that they're hoping he's a Kike Hernandez replacement. And I think that in a couple of ways. I mean, if, if you look at his stats, like two years ago, Urias hit 23 home runs and Kike hit 20 home runs. Urias had a 249 average. Kike had a 250 average. Um, last year, Urias hit 239. I mean, he's in that same like 230 to 250 with 15 to 20 home run 
pop when he's going well. And he also has that versatility that is so important to this team. Um, he plays a much better second pace. I was looking at shortstop in 2021. And tell me if this reminds you of anybody. He played 59 games at shortstop that year. Or he started 59. He played 68 total. He had 14 errors at short. And 11 of them were throwing errors. Um, and he made nine more errors at third base. So I'm looking at this, and there were so many similarities between Urias and Kike Hernandez. You know, he plays second, short, and third, whereas Hernandez had some outfield. I don't think Urias plays the outfield at all. Um, but he plays a lot better at second base. He was a positive four outs above average there in 2022. Um, his, you know, errors were, were far fewer at that position. So... I just wonder, I mean, they've got nothing from that second base position. I know that there are a lot of names um, that, you know, we'll talk about and we don't know how it's going to shuffle, but they've got nothing for the last month at second base and probably more than that. And Urias has been hitting um, decently in the minor leagues. Not great, but he's been kind of back healthy for the last month and he has four homers and a 250 average and he has a good walk rate over the last month so i you know he's starting at triple a but i think he'll probably go down there and i do think they're going to give him a shot at some point yeah i think it all depends on how quickly he can figure it out because you make some really good points you know he's just 26 years old it's not like he's over the hill from a skill standpoint um and you're right, they absolutely needed a second baseman. That was one of the areas we were kind of hoping they would address. Certainly well well behind starting pitching in their hierarchy of needs. Um, but the thing that I was just a little surprised by is, like you mentioned Bradley Blaylock um, being one of the guys who's Rule 5 eligible this upcoming offseason. They have so many of these type of guys that they're going to need to protect. And, you know, like you said, I think that deserves its own episode almost because there's just so many guys they need to make decisions on. But I was just kind of shocked that Heimblum didn't deal more from that and more from the 40-man roster crunch of guys, you know, the David Hamiltons, the Willier Brayus, the Bobby Dahlbecks, like, all these guys that really just are clogging up spots that are not actively helping the club right now um, to get some guys who can come in and immediately impact this team. So, well, I hope you're right, and I think that there is some hope that Urias can figure it out here and you know turn the page and be what he was before, and that could be a real impact at second base. That would be obviously the best-case scenario. But to not address the pitching at all, uh, I don't know, man. That... That just blew me away. Yeah, and, and I think that there's just kind of like this straw man argument that's out there like, oh, they didn't go after Scherzer or Verlander or something like that. And I don't think that's what we wanted. I don't think we might have said like pie in the sky, you know, who's your ideal target? Who's your realistic target? We did that a couple of times. Um, we weren't asking for a ton. You're asking for um, a, a lot of arms that are in the Red Sox rotation and bullpen that have been overused or that you got away with against some lesser opponents um, over the last month or so. You had a three-man rotation, and fortunately Pavetta has pitched well enough to give you a four-man rotation, but those arms that are coming back, the Sales and Hawks and Whitlocks, and we talked about it earlier, I mean, there's no guarantee. I certainly wouldn't bet on uh, especially Sale, probably Whitlock, to be healthy for the rest of the season, 
um, with coming off of arm injuries. So you needed to have some depth there. I thought, you know, my wish list was one, a pitcher and two, a second baseman. But yeah, I mean, that that whole that whole group um, and just prospects in general. And I, I mean, I think just get get into it now. There was this uh, you said it was Kyle Glazer that did this. We think that's who it was that did this prospect um, study over the last 10 years of 573 prospects that were traded and 11 percent of those were considered um, either contributors or impact players with only 3% considered impact players. So you've got a one out of 10 chance that the prospect that you are dealing um, is going to be a contributor in Major League Baseball. And the player that you're getting back, I can guarantee you is closer to 80, 90% that they are going to at least contribute or be a part of your team in some way during that season. Um, I just think it's gotten so crazy going the other direction. Um, and you know, with like a, a, the, the trades that, that Houston made, they're probably on the back end of their contention window. I mean, maybe they will continue to, to be able to do this for a few more years, but um, you know, we're not, we're not looking for that. We're not looking for them to sell two of their fo- top four prospects. Um, but you know, sending one out for some reinforcements for a vote of confidence with the team in that, I don't know, 6 to 15 range, they would be okay. They just had a, a good draft last year. They had a couple extra picks this year. They seem to be doing a good job backfilling that. And with the 40-man crunch, it's just, I don't know. I got a feeling they're going to screw it up and lose one of those guys anyways in the offseason because, you know, they couldn't get a, a value trade to move someone off of the 40-man roster again. Yeah, I mean, I think you put it perfectly. Um, the indecision that Heim Bloom has is just crippling uh, to this team. And that study was really wonderful because it just illustrates what prospects really are. They're currency. That's, that's what they are. They, they are meant to improve the big league club. The only thing that your minor league club is for is to improve your big league club. And whether that comes in the form of players developing and coming up and helping the team, or whether that comes in being able to trade them and use them as currency to get major league players right now. Um, and as you pointed out, I mean, the math bears out that the best use of prospects is using them to acquire major leaguers who are currently major leaguers and can currently help you in your current season. Um, I think his aversion to, to rentals is crazy. I think it's ultimately going to be his downfall as, as mm-hmm. a general manager. And as uh, you know, Matt, Matt said when he was on, I mean, it's going to bite him at some point, whether or not it's you know this year with the Red Sox or later on, you just cannot be that indecisive. It's like I used to play a lot of poker and it's it's like not getting involved ever at the poker table unless you're right. dealt like an excellent hand, unless you have pocket aces or, you know, kings or ace king or something like that. But by the time that you do get involved in hands, you're so conservative that everybody else at the table knows that you're sitting on a big hand, so they just back out. You know, that's that's the thing with with Heim Bloom is like he's so reticent to get involved in anything that I think he is pushing potential trade partners 
away. Uh, and yeah. uh, I think the fear to do anything is just, unfortunately, um, destroying the franchise. And it just makes this whole thing just less fun. I'm, he was on the phone all day, though. Will you give him credit for that? What's the that? Made a, he made a oh, lot of phone calls. He made a lot of phone calls. I'm sure that was, you know, very taxing for him. But and at the end of the day, the thing that kills me is like, we're not we're not sitting at the UN right here. You know, this is Major League Baseball. It's a sport that is fun and we are supposed to have fun watching it and covering it and he's running this thing like he's got a portfolio of Goldman Sachs that he can't like screw up. Yeah. You know, he's just it's absurd. It's just like it's so antithetical to how you would think someone should operate. And I was really happy that when Matt was on, he brought up that quote about how Theo's dad told him, like, don't be afraid of making risks or taking risks because you need to. And you know what? In this business, fans will forgive you if you screw up. If you Mm -hmm. try and you you get a guy and he comes here and he doesn't perform, fans aren't going to blame you. Fans are going to blame that guy for coming here and not performing. And they're going to be like, you know what? You know, at least you tried. Like, no Dodgers fan was pissed at the Dodgers the year that they went out and got Manny Machado, and Manny sucked for them in the playoffs. They weren't like, oh, man, what an idiot going out and getting Manny Machado. They were like, wow, a great player became available, and we went and swung for that player. We made it all the way to the World Series and ended up losing to the Red Sox. But you know what? Like, RGM showed he really believed in this team and it helped us get there in the first place. That's right. what you, we think. You want to talk about quotes, Andrew Friedman, if you're always rational about every free agent, you'll finish third on every free agent. We could have the same conversation back from the offseason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of just the aggressiveness and just trying to find, you know, finding 1%, 5% edge on, on every move. Um as we said earlier, it's hard to be taken seriously. I thought it was a great point. You know, you make a phone call. Who's serious? <laughs> is it Dave Dombrowski or is it High and Bloom? That was a great way of putting it because it's just, oh, you know, th- this guy's just trying to find the slightest edge and he's not serious about um, making a fair deal. And, I, of course, I'm not in the room. I don't know what the conversations are like. But after four years, I'm starting to feel like I have a good, uh, you know, feel for that. If it's this exhausting to us covering the team peripherally, imagine how it is being like his top lieutenants in the room, especially the guys who were holdovers from the Dombrowski era. They've got to be just looking around at each other being like, what the fuck is going on here? (laughs) This is just like, it's opposite world at this point. You know, just a, a guy who is so cripplingly afraid of doing anything. Um it's it's crazy. I'm so sick of talking about them. Um, I haven't so noticed. Let's let's move on. Let's move on to the players who Heim uh, Bloom is happy to tell you are on their way back. But uh, we do have some updates on some of the guys who are going to return. Um, Pete Abraham had a tweet earlier today as we were recording this. Um, tweet was from 2:53 p.m. on August 2nd. He says Houck starts his rehab assignment on Saturday in AAA. Whitlock could be Sunday. Sales starts on Sunday. He will return to the Red Sox as a starter. It seems like Sales going to beat the other two guys back. Um, that wasn't in the tweet. That's just what I'm taking away from it. 
And uh, Trevor's story also, this isn't from PDA, but um, he is not going to be activated Friday, but has a chance to be activated maybe Saturday or Sunday, or he could potentially be pushed to the Blue Jays series uh, or uh, past the Blue Jays series, I said, but um, I meant. Uh, but anyhow, these guys are going to come back, and it seems like the first two back are going to be Story and Sale. Uh, Bob, looking at those two guys, who are the obvious roster moves that you think will be made to make way for Sale and Story's return? Um, I think starting with Story, and this is you know, we've had this conversation so many times, it's getting... It's really tough. It's really just a matter of like, who do they like most in the organization, I guess, at this point, right? You're talking about Christian Arroyo, Pablo Reyes, Yu Chang, and only Arroyo was part of the plans at the beginning of the season, or, you know, would have been expected to be in the plans in August. Um, I really don't think that if they move on from any of these players, that it's going to affect the franchise a whole lot. I feel like I have a good feel for who everybody is. I really like Christian Arroyo, but he's hitting 245 with a 272 OBP, three homers, 24 RBIs. He's fine defensively. I like the guy, but if they choose to move on from him, I'm fine with it. Um, I would probably move on from Pablo Reyes, but... Honestly, I think it's flip a coin. I think Chang will be there because he's a backup at every infield position. And if, for whatever reason, things don't work out it's with Story, you don't want to be back at square one and not have Chang there as a fail-safe. So I think Chang will stay, and I think it's 50-50 on who they move on from. But I'll say Reyes just to have a stance on this. Yeah, I'll take the opposite side. I would I would keep Reyes and move on from Arroyo. Um, I think the biggest issue with Arroyo was just simply lack of availability. He's just always injured. Um, mm-hmm. And and Pablo has shown a little bit more this year. Do I think Pablo Reyes is a better player than Christian Arroyo when they're both healthy? No. But, you know, I just think that for this roster, a little bit more stability uh, makes a difference. But... I honestly could not care less who right. they keep out of Christian Arroyo or Reyes, but I completely agree with you uh, that it's going to be Yu Chang who's definitely staying here. Uh, it, when it comes to the pitching side of things, though, it seems like Joe Jakes is probably the guy who they're going to send down to make way for Chris Sale. Um, and like they said, they're going to be putting him back in the rotation. So finally, um, if you're counting Nick Pavetta as a starter, which I think even with his entrance from the bullpen uh we are we are counting him as a starter at this point um you know that'll give the team five starters for the first time in a really long time um yeah but i I think it gets interesting after sale when you're talking about like whitlock and and how can how those guys are going to fit in yeah, and we'll have a couple of weeks, I think, to talk about Whitlock and Hauk, and I'm sure a lot will change between now and the, the middle of the month. Sale, it seems like, I don't know, maybe they give him that one outing, but the way they've talked is like, let's have him throw those innings here. I mean, they're using an opener anyways, so if they're going to use an opener on that fifth game, it might as well be Chris Sale for three innings and then four innings the outing after that. So hopefully it's just one appearance that he makes um, in the minor leagues. I agree with Jakes. He's, he's got the options beyond that. Um, you know, I think we'd both be okay if they move on from Richard Blyer. Um, 
you know, if they're they're going to have a couple of lefties for sure, that's dwindling down. And they had six at one point, but I think Chris Murphy and Bernardino have thrown well enough uh, to stay at this point. Specifically, Bernardino in my mind. Yeah, and I love that both Bernardino and Chris Murphy can give you that length. Uh, both those guys have pitched multiple innings many times, um, yeah. and I think that with the fragility of these starters that they have, and with you know guys who have been used in different roles, even looking at Pavetta and Crawford being relievers at different times, um, they're going to need those multi-inning guys. So I think both of those guys are safe as well. Um, let's move on to the schedule here before we close out the episode, though, because we alluded to this that uh, in August things start to get hard, and uh, you know, in terms of the schedule not giving them a lot of days off, not necessarily the opponents, but Bob, can you break that down for us? I mean, we have Toronto uh, coming up here at home starting on Friday, but then uh, things are a little bit easier after that, and then they get difficult towards the end of the month. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a, a huge homestand that's coming up here. There's 10 games, and overall, it's just you have to take care of business, especially after not having a, a winning series out on the West Coast, a couple of tough losses in there. You've got a day off. You're resetting things, and you've had a lot of success against Toronto so far this year. Um, they are 7-0 and against Toronto, and they've really just generally played well against a lot of the teams over 500 this year, which was part of why I feel like, um, you know, there should have been more of an endorsement in this team. But after Toronto, there's four with Kansas City and three against Detroit. So that's 10 games in 10 days. So they're finally, all of these off days are in the rear view after Thursday. Uh, and then they have one more seemingly cupcake series to start a road trip that's in Washington. So they've got the three series at home against Toronto, Kansas City, and Detroit. And then they go to Washington New York and Houston, New York Yankees and Houston. Um, you know, I, I guess I, I don't know whether that New York series is tough. I can't figure out what to make of that team. They've really been anemic offensively, but they now have Aaron Judge back and they, um, you know, have hit well against uh, Shane McClanahan tonight. So they might start to be showing signs of life a little bit. Either way, a series in the Bronx is, is a lot more serious than. Kansas City, Detroit, and Washington before that. Um, and I mentioned Houston. But then after that, I mean, I know we're looking a lot further out the schedule. After that, you've got the Dodgers and Houston again to close out August. So, you know, a lot of winnable games. They have to take care of business over the next two weeks before that. Yankees, Houston, Dodgers, Houston, gauntlet over two weeks to close out August. Um, you know, you don't want to be in the in a place where you're still two or three games out at that point. You want to be, um, especially chasing Toronto, if you can win this series here, you want to be right on that edge. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's uh, it looks like a schedule that will test their pitching depth um, because of the lack of days off, but it also looks like a schedule with a lot of games in which they could be making up ground on their other opponents who are vying for that third wild card spot. It just really depends on whether or not they can, you know, continue their strong play against the Blue Jays and then take care of business against these lesser teams like KC, Detroit, Nationals, even the Yankees at this point looking vulnerable. Um, you know, if they can take care of business against those teams, because that's been one of the, the knocks on this team this year is they don't 
play well against bad teams. Um, so that's going to be a big thing. Uh, I do have two questions for you, though, Bob. What do you think they're going to do on uh, Wednesday the 9th, which is supposed to be Kike Hernandez World Baseball Classic Bobblehead Night at oh. Fenway? Um, wow. So... I don't know I'll what tell you, I don't think do. anything has ever, not like I would ever read the comments or anything on the Over the Monster website, but nothing has made a group of people angrier than the four Kike Hernandez farewell articles that we had <laughs> on there. Um, holy shit, the amount of rage that we're in all of, uh, from all of those individuals, and we appreciate you reading and commenting and all of that, but wow, that struck a nerve. I mean, most of it was reflective on 2021. I don't remember anyone thinking or making the argument that he was the MVP of, of this season so far. Yeah, it's uh, there was a lot of rage about that, and I, I definitely contributed to it with my pro-Kike rant on the podcast last week. Yeah. Um, but I will you. say, a must-go-to game, and uh, Bob, maybe we should go to this one together, uh, see if you can get off work early. Um, but it's a, a Thursday... Uh, or no, Wednesday, um, versus the Astros on the 30th. It's Masataki Yoshida Inflatable Dumbbell Day. Oh, they wow. The, the Astros. Uh, yeah. So it's a 4-10 start. So maybe we, we get to talk off air and see if we can get to that game. A 4-10 start on the weekday uh, while it's still the summer, still summer break for you, Jake. So yep. let's, uh, we'll circle that. Yeah, yeah. So something to look forward to. Um, you got anything else before we wrap up and, uh, and, and tie this one up? Oh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think even though I knew they were going to wait till the last minute and I didn't think a whole lot was going to happen, it's still disappointing when nothing happens and it is the last minute that a minor move is made that was almost in itself a slap in the face uh, coming in at like... 6:30 that it came up it was it was the last move announced by Jeff Passan um so you know they 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 filed that within the final minute you know for sure oh um, yeah so but no it was um that's all i got i think we got it all out of our system and i'm sure there's more to come next week yeah disappointment but not surprise yep. from either of us so uh and hopefully we will not mention I'm Bloom. He'll, he'll become the Voldemort to this show. We just won't say his name um, for the rest of the year. And we can just focus on baseball uh, despite having the worst GM in the sport. Certainly the city. But uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You can find Bob at BobOzGood15. You can find me at DevJake. You can find the Over the Monster account at OverTheMonster. And we'll be with you again next week. 